What is up, Nux? It's Saturday night, March 6th, which means we are a mere two weeks away from Stiffy 12. Tonight, I'm joined by Ferd, and we've got a bevy of topics to run through as we march towards opening day on April 1st. Hope you enjoy the pod. Bird. Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Not bad. Sorry, my cat's being annoying. <laughs> <laughs> what movie did you watch? Uh, Wind River. Never heard of it. It's got Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. It's a, it's like a just a murder mystery. All right, Netflix. Uh, honestly, it might be. I just, I just found it on Cody. <clears throat> gotcha, gotcha. What are you, what are you drinking? Uh, little uh, Bo Pills by Smog City. I just picked this up uh, last night. Like I'm kind of in a more of like a lager mood. Uh, Smog City's good. I, I see their stuff at Windsor fairly regularly, and I, I always I always pick something. Yeah, I've, I've, honestly, I honestly don't think I've had anything bad by them. They have this IPA that I had on tap at one time called Grape Grape Ape. It's a grape IPA. It was so good. <laughs> it literally just tastes like grape. Right. What's the other one? Uh, Alvarado Street. Whenever I see something from them, I'm like, give it. Yeah, give it up. I love Alvarado Street. Very good. I'm having a tripping hazard right now. Uh, Wild Mind Ales. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of no. that. It's a smoothie style sour ale with peach, apricot, passion fruit, and milk sugar. Nice. <laughs> but you know, it says smoothie style, but like it's you know, it's not like it's not as thick. I've 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 found so few that are actually like that yeah but this was recommended by the guy at windsor it is good the flavor is good it's just you know feels a little little misadvertised because i don't i don't it just tastes like a regular sour so it's good it's good hey i know yeah uh i know we had an agenda but i say we just scrap that and spend the next 60 minutes arguing over uh jaco de rizzi how's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> he ain't worth he ain't worth more five minutes <laughs> Uh, we can agree on. I didn't see the actual terms. Uh, I know it's two years. Did you see the money yet? You said it could go up to thirty million with incentives. So, um, whoa. So, like, Jeez. but like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I obviously like he probably slide. Like you said, he probably you know slide in above Cobb. But it's at this point, it's just like adding Odorizzi is just like adding another Canning, another Heaney, another Cobb. Like to me, they're all like one and the same. Just are they going to have a good year or a bad year? <laughs> Or, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, th- I think where I was coming from is just like you know that the, where they're at on the wind curve. I think they're on paper pretty close to the Astros, and so to see the Astros lose one of their better starters and like just backfill them pretty easily when it's like oh we could have gotten a little bit better too. Yeah, but thirty million. I mean, if it was like two, you know, sixteen or something, I'm like oh hell yeah, but two, yeah, thirty million. That's kind of that is kind of a lot. I mean, I know you said there's some escalators yeah, there. Yeah, how yeah how obtainable those are i haven't seen all the details i know i do know they're like only at 13 million of cap space so my guess is it's you know that's probably his base yeah yeah gotcha but i think it's a i still think it's a i was gonna say i still think it's a slight uh, downgrade for uh, houston i think valdez actually was a pretty good sleeper i actually had my eye on him oh yeah i think it's a it's a pretty noticeable downgrade he's a guy who um I mean, he, he, he's a little bit maybe overrated in MK because of the walks, but as far as real baseball, I, I think he's just a guy who's, you know, he doesn't really mind walking a guy here or there because he gets like 60% ground balls. He's like, whatever, I'll just get a double play. Exactly. And his, his home run suppression, like throughout his whole career, in the mind, like he's just hard to hit the ball over the wall against him. He's a good pitcher. No, I... that, that one hurts them. All right, we can jump in. 
Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and jump in. Okay. So, Fred, we are a week into spring training, which means we're we're knee deep in all the narratives that come with it. You know, the the Pablo Sandoval is in the best shape of his life, and Chris Davis has revamped his swing, and Justin Upton is is gonna run more all of a sudden. Like all the the, the MLB beat writers, they have they have column quotas that they've got to fill, and we're left with the task of kind of filtering through all that noise, right? So. Some fantasy players say you're better off just ignoring spring training altogether, that nothing useful or insightful comes from it. In fact, you can do more more harm than good. Uh, others believe that you can find some indicators that sharpen your draft board. What's your stance on, on gleaning information from spring training? Let's start with, with hitters. Honestly, uh, hitting, it's really hard for me. I, I, I don't put too much stock, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, obviously, you don't want to see them you know, just completely shit the bed. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I'm kind of just more so looking for guys that have an injury history and making sure they're not, you know, missing time because of little nagging things here or there. You know, I just want to make sure that, you know, hopefully this season they're going to at least start the season without these little nagging things that follow some of these players. Um, you know, I just kind of, um, I try to look at the strikeouts and the walks and, um, that's pretty much it. Um, I just like to see guys that like, you know, hobby, like Javi Baez, for example, back in the day when he first came up. And I'd like to see in his second or third spring training, just seeing those strikeout trends or those walk trends. But it's hard because, you know, pitchers are just working on pitches. They're not, um, you know, they can just be grooving a fastball because he just wants to see, you know, if he can get his velocity up or if he can hit a spot. And if he doesn't hit it, so well. Um you know, obviously some of these younger guys, pitchers, they care because they're trying to earn a spot. But, you know, you got guys that know they're on the team. They're just kind of working on pitches. You know, you, got, um, you have like Kershaw working on a changeup here and there. Um, you know, and it's just like, okay, if he just leaves that right over the middle of the plate and a guy blasts a bomb, you know, cool. Look, You look at his stats, he hit a bomb, he's throwing some power. But, you know, just kind of get, getting back, you know, turning, getting back around, uh, you know, from the beginning of what I was saying is just, yeah, hitting wise, I don't really look at much. To be completely honest, I just want to look at the strikeouts, the walk rates, and just kind of look at their overall health. Yeah, you make a good point about those nagging little injuries because I think guys who are actually hurt um, to the point where it's going to suppress their draft stock could present buying opportunities. But the guys who have the little nagging things, who you're still paying full freight for them, but they're about to go into a six month grind, not at a hundred percent. That is, you know, that is something maybe to keep an eye on. Um, but I generally agree, right? Like you've got, you've got, it's too small of a sample for hitters to move the needle for me. Like there's, there's nothing really a guy can show me in 40 at bats and half of them are against, you know, minor leaguers, or like you said, a guy working on a new pitch. Um, there's not much they can show me in, in a month. That's going to really alter my perception from two weeks ago. And, and case in point, you look right now, if you look at the leaderboard today, uh, Scott Heineman, an outfielder for the Reds, uh, in eight at bats, obviously small sample, hitting 500 with a 1600 OPS, a couple stolen bases, a home run. And if you actually look at his spring training career, 56 games, um, no, that's almost a full season last year. He's hitting 329 <laughs> with a 995 OPS, right? Just an absolute monster. Uh, but then you look at his 49 game major league career, 590 OPS. Right. Like the, it's just a tale of two different players. And I think it's because of the things you've already alluded to. So I'm in agreement that it just doesn't do much for me to, to really look at what hitters are doing with the exception of um, I think the stats can count when you're talking about positional battles. Right. And if there's for the most part, if a guy's in a positional battle, he's probably not too fantasy relevant because, you know, he's battling in a, in a league of 30 teams and we only play with 12. 
But there are some that do matter, right? You look out to Baltimore, and it looks like it's Austin Hayes versus Cedric Mullins for that center field spot, which will probably also be the leadoff hitter. Neither of those guys are going to be a star, but if Mullins you know, leads off, he might steal 20 bases. That's something of some fantasy relevance. But if he doesn't, if they don't have a good spring, he ain't playing, right? And same, you know, same for Austin Hayes. So I think that those stats matter, not because they make them any better or worse in our eyes, but the Orioles got to choose a center fielder and they're probably just going to say, Hey, who's playing well right now. You're going to get the shot out of the gate. And so opportunity that does matter to us, obviously in fantasy baseball. So I think that is one thing to keep an eye on, but those positional battles of, of relevance, to us are pretty few and far between. How about on the pitching side? Pitching, I definitely will take a look at. Um, like I mentioned, you know, what I'm looking for is obviously velocity. You know, you want to you want to make sure these guys are hitting the velocities they hit last year. So if, you know, you have a, a you know, starting pitching sleeper because, you know, second half of the season is velocity increased, you know, a mile per hour or two miles per hour, which is pretty extreme. But, uh, you know, you want to just make sure that those carried over, that they learn something mechanically and they're able to, you know, repeat it. Um, you know, so it just overall help, strength and health, you know, like I remember Bumgarner for years, it was just every year he was creeping down a mile per hour, a mile per hour. And it's just, you know, you want to follow along and just go, man, he, he doesn't have it. He hasn't figured it out or he hasn't, you know, learned to adjust or adapt. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely want to look at, um, at their velocity, I want to look at if they've developed a new pitch and are they actually throwing it in spring training. Um, those are my big two key takeaways for pitching. And like you said, the battles for, uh, you know, the fourth or fifth spots in a lot of these rotations. Yeah, and, and you know what? Those are the two boxes I check as well, um, just to add a little color to them, I suppose. The, the velocity, don't really care if a guy tops out at a certain miles per hour. That doesn't do much to, you know, throw one hard pitch, especially if they're only – you know, early in spring training when they're throwing one inning, it's kind of like being a reliever. We know relievers throw harder because they don't, they can let it fly. You know, they only have to throw 15 pitches. But if you get later in the spring and the starters are going three, four, five innings and they're still up a couple miles an hour, I think that's something notable. It doesn't send the guy flying up my draft board, but it's like if I have a, you know, four or five guys I'm looking at for that $1 spot, um, that would move him to the top of that bunch, right? So, um, and then the other piece you mentioned about a new pitch, um, I think I agree, I, but I would I would add the the context of make it be a meaningful new pitch. And, and what I mean by that is, so you look at Kenta Maeda, he's supposedly working on a curveball right now, and Maeda is a pretty finished product. I don't a curveball might make him a, a hair better, but probably doesn't do too much. But let's look at someone like Mitch Keller, right out in Pittsburgh. I think he was you uh, you, you kept him last year, right? He was one of your, or at least you. Mm-hmm. You had him on your roster. Uh, yeah, I, I traded him before the season. I think I convinced Jimmy for somebody, and it pissed him off. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember which direction he went. I knew there was a trade there, but you know, Keller's someone who I think has a ton of upside. Uh, you look at his seventy inning career so far, ten and a half K per nine. The problem is he's got an ERA about a run and a half higher than his xFIP, and maybe it's just small sample bad luck, but I don't think it is. I think he's kind of got some. Nolasco, Pineda, Matt Boyd, you know, in him where, where he's not going to match his ERA to his XFIP. And the problem with Mitch Keller is as a right-handed pitcher and he has, he has no changeup. He's a fastball slider guy. And so righties, they really need that third pitch, hopefully a changeup or maybe a splitter to kind of keep lefties honest. Sure enough, you dig into Mitch Keller's splits, 931 OPS allowed versus lefties on his career. A 1.67 home run per nine, which is you know, <laughs> very high and almost double um, 
what he what he allows versus righties. And you look at last year, five starts, he threw 12 changeups. He just doesn't have that pitch. And on top of that, since he knows he can't get those guys out, he nibbles or he just you know, avoids them. He has a 5.3 walk per nine against lefties. He's probably looking at him going, this guy's going to slug it over the wall. I'll just kind of take my chances with a guy on deck who, you know, swings it out right-handed. So all of that, you know, makes him a lot worse, right? But if Mitch Keller comes out and he goes, I've got a change up now and I'm going to show it and, and I'm going to throw it at least 10% of the time and it's good enough to kind of keep guys honest, then you're talking about a guy who's, it's not just his XFIP's going to, or his ERA is going to trickle down towards his XFIP, but he's going to stop walking guys and his XFIP's going to be better too. Like Then you're talking about like a three and a half or at least maybe a four ERA guy with big strikeouts. It's a totally different pitcher, right? So easier said than done. It's easy to, to work on a changeup in the spring um, and not necessarily carry it over to, to the regular season because you don't have the full confidence. But that's the kind of new pitch I would want to see is something that is just really missing from a guy's arsenal that's going to limit him until he gets. Yeah, and a good example, like, you know, you mentioned Mitch Keller, and it's like they say the same thing about, like, uh, Lamette, too. Like, you know, he has two pitches, and same with Glass now. And Glass now, I think, is working on a third pitch. So, you know, to your point, it's like I I, I will keep an eye. I don't even – he's probably capped. I honestly haven't even checked. But, um, you know, he's somebody I would, like, in, in theory, I would keep an eye on. And just to your point, it's like how effective is that pitch and is he using it? 20, 30% of the time, or is he throwing it two or three times an outing in spring? Right. Yeah. If you're not using it 10% of the time, I would say it's kind of a just a an arbitrary but easy to remember benchmark. If it's less than that, it's just kind of a show me pitch. It's an right. experiment. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, well, speaking of pitching, we're, we're gonna we're gonna pivot over to some market observations. And before we go into the elephant in the room, which is the, just the, the starting pitching scarcity in MK due to all the the, the, the top flight keepers that are already etched into the rosters. Um, let's look at, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a lot of conversation amongst the, the insiders, so to speak, around innings pitch limits, right? Hey, these guys only made eight, 10 starts last year. They're, they're not going to let them ramp up and throw 180 innings, or they're going to do six man rotations or there's elevated injury risk because of the shortened season. They're not going to be ready for this long haul. What are you reading? What are you hearing? And, and how do you see teams managing their staffs this year? Uh, you mean it, MK or you mean the actual major league uh, team? No, a, actual, actual major league teams. And, and then we'll, we'll kind of trickle into the impact. On and this is just a hunch, but um, it, I think they're going to be a little bit more um, cautious um, than in years past. Just the game's going that way to begin with. Um, but I think with that short season, the ramp up, the ramp down, and I think they're just going to be a little cautious on these arms, especially the, the younger arms, you know, like guys like Lance Lynn, who I just gave up, you know, it, the hard thing was, and I know that I was pushing him for a while and I didn't have a lot of, you know, feelers, but it's just, the guy's going to get you 200 plus innings. And I don't know how many guys are going to get 200 innings this year. Um, I think he might be one of two or three if that. So, um, and it's pitch, I think is going to be huge. That's just going to help you with those counting stats, the strikeouts. You know, even if he's a, a high eight, low nine, K per nine guy, you know, he's going to be up there with the league leaders and strikeouts just because he's going to pitch, you know, 20, 30 more innings than, than some of these guys. Um, you know, obviously, like the DeGroms, the Coles, you know, those top guys, they're probably going to go deep into games. Um, but some of these young guys, like even Walker Bueller, who's on my team, like I think they're going to be kind of cautious with him at a certain point. So um, I definitely think there's going to be a scarcity in innings pitch. I don't know if that necessarily is going to translate to, you know, inflated prices at Stiffy. Um, 
pitchers always go for inflated prices and you know it's no secret like i think max scherzer's the highest ranked available pitcher right now and he's not a 50 dollar pitcher but i could see him going for that much if somebody's just lacking an ace and just needs somebody that they're you know pretty confident in that's going to go out there and just get you those numbers um i you know i think the major league teams are going to um i think they're going to be a little bit more cautious and, and i think they're going to uh, utilize their bullpens and their middle of relievers a little bit more and um, you know, maybe besides your ace or your number two on some teams, uh, I think you might just go your five and call it a day, or you might skip a, a, a day, a, a round in the rotation, or they might, you know, do the little, you know, here's a 15 day DL stint here and there for some of these guys. Um, but I definitely think there's going to, you know, I think it's going to force us to be, you know, hitting those waiver wires for some streaming options just to, to make things a little bit more uh, interesting for us. Yeah, I think to, to steal a line from from Iron Mike, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I think that there's going to be teams that are going to go into it going, we're going to go six-man. Like, we already know the Mariners are doing it, the Angels are doing it, the Tigers are doing it. The Padres might start that way. Um, but, you know, you, it's easy to say we're going to roll a six-man rotation, but then a month into it when someone goes down, if you're trying to compete, are you, are you going to just pull up some scrub from AAA and give him, you know, a sixth of your starts? Or are you going to go, all right, well, now let's just revert to our five-man. Like, six-man's work in theory, but I, they, they, I don't know, you know if they're sustainable throughout the, whole, throughout the whole season. And then the innings pitch limit, like, you kind of alluded to it. The game's kind of going that way. So we might see some guys going shorter innings, but I wonder how much of it's driven by caution versus just we want to get to our bullpen sooner because we know – you know, shortening the game and, and Tampa Bay Rays style baseball, like it, it wins. So um, to steal another line, this one from you, right? Correlation doesn't equal causation. We'll see if that's really like if, if, if as they're shortening the starts, is it really because they're being cautious or is it because they just it's strategic? Maybe a little bit of both. But you're right about Scherzer being the top guy. I pulled up some ADP data um, from NFBC, which for anyone not familiar, that's where it's like a, a host site like Fantrax or Yahoo or whatever. And it's where the big boys play. It's big money leagues. Um, and so I, I don't think their ADP data is any better than any other site, but I like it because you can, you can filter it by, you know, dates and stuff. So I was looking at the last 30 days and Scherzer is the 10th pitcher off the board um, in those leagues. And yeah, the first nine uh, in MK are all kept. And then you have to go all the way down to the 20th pitcher taken, Carlos Carrasco, to have the next best available. Um, so, you know, two, two of the top 20 are available. And then number three would be Zach Plezak, who threw like great innings last year, but like 30 of them. Number four, Strasburg. So depending on your appetites, for this, <laughs> I mean, that's, those are the top guys available, yeah. right? Like that's crazy. So then you look at Frank, he hasn't declared his keepers yet. Does he keep Scherzer for 48 bucks? Cause like you said, he might go for 50 just because of the scarcity. And if he does, does Keith turn around? and keep Carlos Carrasco for $15 instead of one of his young prospects. Uh, and all of a sudden, we're, we're in a world where Zach Plezak is the best available starting pitcher at the auction in two weeks, which is a banana statement to even to, to make. But that, that's how scarce it is at the top this year. Really well, I'm strange. kind of glad because, you know, I, as the joke has been, I had so many pitching keepers and I, let, I traded Lynn for McNeil and, you know, but – I didn't necessarily, I, I, I hate going into the year with like a majority of pitching keepers just because pitching is just such a shit show. And, you know, you don't know if a guy gets hurt, like it just impacts this whole season. It's just, I don't like to generally load up on, on, 
I'm pitching uh, for keepers. I like to do that on my offense, but you know, just based off of the contracts I had, it just made more sense for me to do that. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad because like you said, it's just, there's, <laughs> there's nobody for me to just go and like, you know, even if I have the money now, cause I let go of the Yelich contract. So it's like, if the DeGrom was out there, I could have just, you know, been stubborn and whatever price it was, I would have got them. But, um, but I, no, like, I'm glad that, you know, I you know kept my four pitchers and, you know, now I can just worry about the, the value guys and, you know, put my money somewhere else. But, um, I, I do not envy the, the, the teams in our league who are short on pitching. I think, you know, it's demand and the, the deeks of the world. They're going to have to get lucky with some lotto tickets. Right, right. No, if there was ever a year to be as, as starting pitcher heavy as, as you are, this is it. So that's a nice start. And it's, I, I, I don't know that people are like, in a world where Zach Plezak is, is going to be the top pitcher available, I don't think someone's going to go out there and go 45 no. miles for him. Like, I don't think that level of desperation is going to be there. But what I think is going to happen is all those guys who people were put a little star next to him going, oh, I'm going to get this guy for five, seven bucks. You're paying 15, buddy. Like, <laughs> sorry. Like that whole, uh, the, the, what's, what's the saying? The rising tide lifts all boats. Like, I, I think everyone's just going to get more expensive from, from you know, the lower <laughs> middle tier all the way up. It, it's just going to get pumped up and, and people are going to have to either – play that game or just really pick from the bottom of the barrel at the end. And uh, that could work. Please, uh, that leaves more, uh, more value in offense for me. So go at it guys. <laughs> You'll like that. Yeah. So let, let's shift over to offense and let's shift from a position of scarcity to one of that's just been an embarrassment of riches. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago where people would burn a, a first, I just shouldn't say burn, but, but, you know, spend a first round pick on Chase Utley, right? Because even though his stats were probably going to be, and I'm talking about prime Chase Utley, obviously, right? Not, <laughs> not Dodgers Chase Utley. But even though his stats were going to be like what you could get from an outfielder a couple rounds later, getting that at second base was like, oh, shit, this is so good. Um, and now we've seen middle infield, shortstop in particular, but middle infield has just surged to where if you look at looking at that same ADP data, the 10th best middle infielder uh, going in drafts right now is Corey Seager coming off that great year, um, you know, Herculean October. The 20th best is Jose Altuve. I know I'm the, the low man on the Altuve totem pole, but that's crazy that he's the 20th middle infielder going in drafts right now. His teammate, Carlos Correa, 25th, the 14th shortstop. Uh, it's just crazy. It's crazy how deep it's gotten. Is, is positional scarcity outside of catcher, is it just extinct? Like, th- does it even matter what position a guy plays anymore as long as it's not catcher? Yes and no. Uh, like, I- I've been thinking about this because, yeah, you're right. The second baseman, the shortstops, the middle infield has generally been the hard spots to fill, and it doesn't seem like it is this year. And I haven't put too much stock at second base because I have Gurriel, and I'm content there. But, um, you know, where I've been, you know, just to give a little glimpse into my early, you know, prep work is I think there's a little bit of scarcity in the corner infield this year. I think first base, not as much as third base, third base, I think is a little bit more dire, but um, even first base, like, you know, you got like, you know, in some of these, you know, rankings that I'm looking at, I have like Josh Bell as the ninth ranked first baseman, you know, Matt Olson's the eighth and Reese Hoskins is the seventh. It's like, if Reese Hoskins is your starting first baseman, and I had Matt Olson last year, it's like you just have to be content with, hey, I'm using first base is going to be my power spot. You know, I'm going to put in my 35, 40 home runs, 
that's what I'm getting there. I don't care about my batting average. Um, you know, I'm just going OPS and pretty much home runs and hope the RBIs and runs fall into place with it because I'm not going to feel confident if Matt Olson or Reese Hoskins are my starting first baseman. In reality, it's, it's probably going to be based off of who's available. Um, you know, uh, it's just, you know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, like, yeah, he's not a bad player, but, you know, it's he's your 11th ranked first baseman. But people might think, oh, shit, Paul Goldschmidt's 11th. Like, that means it's stacked. And it's like, but is it? Like, you know, like 25 home runs, you know, 80, 80, 260 for your first baseman? Meh. Like, so at third base, I think it's even worse. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to just scan over real quick. And third base, I have, um, like, sorry, uh, you know, like, uh, like Nolan Arenado, he's up there. But, you know, I have him, um, you know, kind of down towards, you know, four, five, or six nowadays, you know. And, but, you know, even, you know, uh, like once you get past the, the eight or nine, you know, if you're, you know, we have 12 teams. So it's like, you know, so the 12th rated third baseman is, sorry, I'm trying to pull it up right now, is uh, you have Chris Bryant at 10, you have Yon Moncada at 11, and then you have like Donaldson at 12. Like I'd be happy with Donaldson as my starting third baseman, but, um, you know, outside of that, like it's, you know, maybe third base is a little bit better um, than I thought, but I think first base is is a little bit of a, a of a question mark. But I think for the most part, a lot of people just chalk, chalk up first bases where I'm going to get my home runs and, you know, so maybe it's not shallow in that regard, but um, like I said, you know, if I'm, you know, getting the eighth guy and that's like a Matt Olson or a, a Reese Hoskins, like I'm not excited, but I'm not, I don't think I've crippled my team. Yeah. I, th- I think and what a divergence that's been, right? Like first base used to just be like all the studs were there. You never had to worry about it. Now it has become pretty top heavy. Right, like you got your your Freeman and your Bellinger, and I mean you can put Lemayhu there or Abreu, but then, but yeah, like Alonzo, Voit, there's still some pretty good players, and it does start to kind of dip into like it, it gets a little questionable, like Rizzo, right? Like Rizzo could be really good, but he's kind of dipping, and Mustakas was terrible last year, and and Eric Hosmer, what is he? Did he actually revolutionize his swing, or is he going to be shit again? Like it does, it does fall off pretty quickly. Um, and so that's strange because yeah, corner infield used to just be like a gimme position. And part of my reason to trade for the trade you Darvish for Davers, uh, Rafael Devers was to grab a third baseman because Eli seems to have them all. That's the problem. He's got, like, <laughs> he's got Rendon and Urshela and uh, Machado. And I think he's even got Matt Chapman. I don't know how many he can fit into one roster, but um, he kind of cornered the market uh, on the corner infielders, so to speak. So uh, it, but, you know, going back to the middle infield piece, I think there's something philosophical going on. I forget who pointed this out. One of the writers said that the Indians, they basically like, so, you know, whether it be in the draft, free agency, well, they don't really play much in a free agency game, but the draft or like uh, international free agencies where they, they play a lot or even trades, they just traded for two shortstops, right? Ahmed Rosario and Andres Simenez. Um, they basically are trying to just grab as many shortstops as they can. And their philosophy is if you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere. So we're going to stockpile that. And if, 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 you know, someone floats to the top as the starting shortstop for the next five, six years, they'll move the other guy to second, the other one, the center, the other one, the third, like they just jam athletes basically into their system who can all hit too is the idea. So I think maybe that's just where the shift is. And that's where you have these guys like, you know, Tatis and Bichette, like this whole next generation of guys who, who were never the prototypical light hitting shortstops, but now the game's changed towards like, no, put your best player there and let them go. So um, it, it is kind of interesting to see that. 
All right, so let's pivot over to some, well, just kind of some, some macro keeper analysis here. The, the freezing keepers has really allowed us to choose our best bunch between two drafts, right? Like whoever we liked and kept from 2019, then whoever we liked in 2020, we get to mash those together. And I think the keeper sets are stronger than ever because of that, uh, obviously to make up for the unique year that we had last year. And there's, there's always some inflation. The top end is always really inflated. Is this a year, you know, so Mike Trout's getting thrown back in, in there this year. He's the best player available, definitely. Um, does he break his own record? He is, he is the, the, the biggest buy a few years ago at 70 bucks. Does he go for more than 70 this year and break the record for the largest MK buy, despite the fact that he is not the consensus number one overall pick anymore because of the fact that his speed has been dwindling the last few years? Yeah, no, I don't think he does. For, like, the reasons you said, I think just the, you know, he'll still go for a, a hell of a lot. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets into the high 50s or even 60s, but I don't think he's going to get that high. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, just the – the pizzazz, for lack of a better term, is just kind of worn off a little bit with him. Um, you know, you know, you're going to get a high floor. Um, the ceilings probably, you know, he's probably had his high ceilings. Um, you know, maybe he has another year or two left in his career where he can just, you know, outproduce a normal pace and just kind of have an outlier year. Um, it's not out of the realm, but um, I don't, you know, I don't think we're ever going to see his 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 peaks again. Um, you know, if we get into ninety percent of those peaks or ninety five percent of those peaks, they're still great peaks, but. Um, I think the, the the fun of him has worn off a little bit, and we've shifted to you know the Tatis of the Sotos, the Cunhas of the world. They're the new face of the game, and um, I think uh, you know those guys are going to be kept. But you know, there's not you know and even the top prospects coming up are are kept, so there's not really that young stud that I think somebody's going to just blow their load on. But um, I just think people are going to be a little more gun shy to spend that kind of money on on somebody, and I just um, you know I don't an outfield is just you know, there's so many people out there, even though they're not Mike Trout, you can get two guys for $70 and get more production. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can, you can go out there and grab, you know, Springer or Harper and another, you know, $25 guy or so. And, and, and yeah, make that case that that's better than Trout plus a, a dollar player. Um, it's, he's like the, he's the eight, well, the sixth hitter off the board in those drafts. Acuna, Tatis, Soto is going ahead of him, Betts, and even Trey Turner. Uh, I think, like I said, I think a lot of that has to do with the speed. And Trout's just—he's turning thirty, and he's big, and he's a, still an absolutely fantastic hitter. But I think those twenty stolen base days are definitely in the rearview mirror. That being said, I think he is going to break the record because there's just a lot of money to be spent. I think guys will eventually pivot and say, "No, I'm going to go after the Springer, the Lindor, the Harper, those types of guys." But Trout will be one of, if not the first nomination, because someone's either going to want him or someone's going to want to take, you know, 70 bucks off the table. And so I think he'll get thrown out early when people have a lot of money. And I think he's going to blow past it. I could see him going, if I just had to give a, a hard prediction, I'll say 77, uh, that Trout is going to shatter his record. And just by way of being not the best player in the league anymore, but the best player available. And, um, you know, doesn't help that or hurt that he's got the, you know, the hometown interest that people like to kind of buy players who, who they watch every night. So there's a little bit of a tax there. So I do, I, I guess I disagree with you. I do think he's going to go for a, a, an awful lot of money. Um, so speaking of budget in years past, it was a, a cardinal sin to leave any money on the table. It was just, 
wasted money, lost opportunity, too bad, so sad, you'll never get it back. But now we have this new rule with an in-season hard salary cap of $400, which means money left on the table does give you a little bit more payroll flexibility to manage your team throughout the season. So with that being said, do you think teams will use the entire budget now that we have an in-season cap or might teams hold back a little bit since there's going to be some inflation say, I'm not going to overpay for guys and I'm going to leave myself some room to make in-season adjustments? I don't think so. Maybe I'm just being naive, but I think this year might be more of a learning year for a lot of people and just kind of go just draft the normal way we've always had and just kind of see how the season plays out and, you know, kind of learn from our mistakes. Uh, you know, it's going to be a, gr- a learning curve for all of us. Just, you know, is that really going to impact us? You know, do we really have to manage that? Or is that really that number, you know, really in play? Or is that number really only in play after the trade deadline when chicken get wild? Um, and at that point, I think you just worry about it then. Um, I don't think you're going to really see too much. And you'll, you'll probably see some teams that leave $10, $15 on the table. It happens every year. You just Sometimes you just, you know, you make your bids and you're just kind of surprised that they didn't go for more. And you, okay, I have $15 left on the table. Um, you, you, you never want to leave money on the table. You wish you could have, you know, you know driven up some other bids, um, either for your competition or just you could have landed somebody you really wanted because you ended up with money left. But um, I think it's just, it's hard in the middle of it to, to just adjust on the fly of inflation and, you know, all that. You just kind of have to just keep your head down and just stick to your plan. And I don't, I, I, just in the heat of the battle, in the moment of a bid, um, I, I just don't think a lot of people are going to be thinking, like, uh, doing the math in their head and just try to figure it out. I think it's just going to be for my team and we'll go from there. Yeah, it's a bit of an arbitrary number that we that we put out there. As you said, we, we may need to adjust after this, this year. Maybe you need to move it up or down because it's, it's not intended to, to suffocate us from making roster moves, but just to, you know, obviously to, to mitigate those super crazy uh, fire sales. But um, I generally agree. I don't think people are going to manage with that in mind. But I do see, you know, if someone, if, as you're getting towards the end, there's less of a pressure to go, oh, I just got to spend it all. Like if you're getting the guys you want and you're, and you're pacing, leaving 10 bucks on the table, 15 bucks on the table, um, where in previous years you might go, I'm going to just buy a guy I don't even really care for just to spend the money. Um, and, and maybe it's a slight upgrade over this other guy I was going to target. Um, I think people will be less inclined to do that and just say, I'm going to go get my guys. And if I, if, if they cost a little bit less than I anticipated and I, and I leave 10 bucks out there, well then, you know, it's not the end of the world. So yeah, I don't think anyone's going to deliberately make any changes, but it might alleviate a little pressure at the end. Um, if, if guys are, if, if the prices are kind of crazy or, or less than what people thought they were going to be. All right. So baseball finally came clean with a, thinly veiled admission uh, to changing the baseball in recent years. I mean, it was obvious, but it finally kind of came out and said it, although they, they, they still kind of mask it a little bit. Uh, and they've mentioned that they're going to be making more changes to, to deaden the ball this year. What are you hearing as far as the degree of which the ball will be deadened and, and its impact? On- I haven't heard too much. I just heard that it's, you know, deadened. And I don't think any of us are really going to know until it's put into play. But I do think it's weird that they're made this announcement that, they are going to deaden the ball. They, I, 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 and I could be wrong on this, but I thought I read somewhere where they tried to play I- I ignorance of, oh, we, we actually found out we did some research that the ball actually was changed, and it, you know, we don't like the changes that it applied to the game, so we are going to deaden it. But it's weird to me that why would you not introduce it during spring training? Like, why have these pitchers use this different ball, um, and the hitters even, 
um, you know, all spring training and get, you know, used to this, this ball. And then just all of a sudden day one of the new season be like, okay, here's a different ball. It's just, it's weird. So <laughs> the, the little uh, Mikey conspiracy tinfoil hat on me just thinks like, is this, they're really going to be a different ball or are they just, you know, selling us a, you know, bill of goods. Uh, I think they, they're probably being sincere and there is going to be a different ball. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, these guys are just crazy athletes these days and I'm sure it's going to impact a home run here and there. And, you know, maybe a ball, you know, being in the gap as opposed to just hanging up a little bit and, you know, the, the field are able to get to it. But, uh, overall in, in 162 games and 500 plus 600 uh, at bats at plate appearances, it's going to be very minimal. We're talking maybe overall my team, maybe three or four or five less home runs over 17 weeks. Like that's less than, you know, half of a week. It's, I don't think we're going to see too much of an impact or, you know, the players will probably feel a little bit more, but you know, a Matt Olson with a juice ball is going to hit 40 home runs. Maybe now he hits 37. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It is so strange that they're not using it yet. Like that, I can't think of a, of a single good reason as why they would not, you know, they would hold till opening day to make the change, but um, that's man for I guess, you know, if I, I just think, I think the, I don't know what the impact will be either, but I just, I think it's, it's important to remember it's, it's a nonlinear impact. And by that, I mean, you know, if the ball was dead to the point where um, they say, Hey, the home runs are going to be down by 10% this year. Well, that doesn't just mean you shave 10% off of everyone's home run total because those Matt Olsons of the world, like he is the shit out of the ball. Like, he's not going to lose as many as the guys who are hitting like 15 to 20 now who really benefited from the juice ball. Like, so for example, uh, DJ LeMahieu, right? I know he uses his park well, but he hit 10 home runs last year and only one of them qualified as a no doubter. So he, he's hitting wall scrapers. He's hitting the, like, he needs that ball to travel. I'm not saying that his home run total is going to collapse, but he's the type of guy who I think it would hurt more than his teammates, you know, Judge or Stanton, right? Um, on the pitching side of the house, obviously the fly ball guys get a little bit of a break. You know, it's going to help Matt Boyd more than it's going to help Dallas Keuchel, who's out there throwing 55, 60% ground balls. And then on the on the speed side, I think is where it could actually have the most impact. Um, also a nonlinear impact, but, you know, the less power that's in the game, the more reliance there is on manufacturing runs. And, and more justification to take risk on the base pass. And that doesn't mean Miguel Sano is going to start running all of a sudden, but the guys who have that passable speed, who maybe they were given the yellow or red light to because they figured no reason to run when there's a good chance this guy hits it over the wall, um, now they might have to kind of push the envelope a little bit more. So maybe those eight to nine stolen base guys can become 15 stolen base guys um, if their managers have a, a little bit more aggressiveness and uh, as far as their tendencies, but there's nothing we can know now. And it's nothing we're really going to know until several months into the season. Probably it's nothing we can prepare for, but I do think that, you know, if, 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 unless they are selling us a bill of goods, I think it is going to change the game a little bit, probably for the better, um, but it, it, it should change it. Um, all right. So the prospect market, something that will always be hot in MK. Thanks to Keith, if no one else, but do you think that the absence of a minor league season in 2020 throws some cold water? I absolutely think it does. Um, it's just, it, it's weird. Like, you know, I was kind of going through the prospect list and a lot of these guys are being kept, uh, you know, Keith is keeping some guys, you know, and I'm not going to say names, but everybody knows names. Everybody knows who's the top, who the top prospects are, but you know, I was kind of going through that list and, you know, I'm kind of giving away a little bit of my secrets, but you know, there was nobody in that, you know, 
I generally don't like to bid on somebody at Stiffy prospect wise. That's not a top 10. Just, you know, I, I just don't want to take the risk. Like, you know, you're only, I'm only going to waste a roster spot on somebody that I think is just elite. Uh, and, uh, you know, the last couple of years alone, though, they've just gone up. You know, Keith's the biggest culprit, but, um, you know, like he drove up Luis Ro- Robert, uh, you know, these top, uh, Marte, uh, not Marte, um, Franco. Um, and then even Adele, he spent a little bit, you know, he spent six bucks, which, you know, it's not a huge number, but for a guy who's never played, you know, in the bigs and, you know, most people said wasn't ready was, um, you know, $6 is a lot to just sit on your bench hoping for something. And, you know, I think guys get a little bit desperate. Um, hopefully this year, I think offense, there's going to be a lot of value out there because, you know, a lot of people kept pitching. Um, so I think there's going to be some value in offense. So hopefully people aren't, you know, and I guess there's pitching prospects. So I, I you know, but I, I do think not having those, the, anybody from last year, like really just have crazy years or solidify, Hey man, this guy is a stud or this guy had a down year. It's just, there's a lot of unknowns and, um, I think people are going to be a little bit more timid and maybe they'll utilize our, you know, the supplemental now that we have, you know, uh, staggered the the values based off of the later you draft in the supplemental. So maybe, you know, guys, instead of drafting one or $2 guys, are just going to save them for this last two or three supplemental picks and just hope they catch lightning in a bottle. Right. Yeah. I mean, it used to just be a game of, Hey, whoever can just be the most patient and leave a dollar and a draft and, and a, roster spot at the end can grab one of those top prospects for a buck, maybe two, um, you know, if you come over the top on someone and they're out of money, but yeah, now, especially last year, like you see in Wander Franco and, and Joe Adele provided, I mean, blue chip prospects, but seven, eight bucks for a guy who never played a big league game and, and wasn't guaranteed to, you know, even that season uh, definitely has, has, has been some, an, an influx of cash into the, the prospect market. Um, but I agree with what you said about like the, the top list. If you look at the top prospect list right now, it's mostly picked over, right? Like there's guys who are either on rosters as keepers already, you know, the, the Wander Francos and the Jerry Kellenics and all, um, or they're guys who are at least exactly. a year or two away. And yeah, how long are you going to hold the guy? So, I mean, Joe Adele, as terrible as he was with the Angels last year, someone will give him a shot this year. You know, Spencer Torkelson, like you said, everyone knows the name. Spencer Torkelson was the number one pick in the draft. Enough guys know about him. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, uncovering any, any big secret. Someone will give him a shot, but again, he's a tiger and are they going to have a reason to bring him up this year? How well, are even, they going to hold him? So yeah. And even a, a guy like Aaron Vaughn, I think it's Aaron Vaughn. Is it uh, the guy? Andrew yeah, Vaughn. And, um, Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. Andrew Vaughn, you know, even somebody like him, like, you know, he's somebody that ha- I have some interest in, but then it's just like, then what are they going to do? Is he going to be a full-time DH? You know, they're not going to move Abreu after an MVP season. And they just are stacked with, you know, offensive talent that I can just see them just letting him waste away a year, another year at the minors because A, they can save the money and B, just, he, you know, get some live action under your belt for a while before you come up. And it's just, you know, we don't need you. Our offense is stacked. So, you know, even guys like that who are ready for the MLB, there's still a ton of question time about playing time. Yeah, I get it. I mean, Trout at one point was a one or two dollar guy that was had no, uh, you know, he had pedigree in the minors, but no track record. Tatis was the one dollar. Like those are the types of contracts that keep guys dreaming on. I'm going to get that next prospect. I get it. I understand the market. But the reality is most of them are going to be you're going to wait for them. Then they're going to come up and they're going to be, you know, average hitters that really just don't like. 
you know, they know better than a Mitch Hanniger, yeah. right? Or something that you can get like way cheaper. Like, like if, if Jerry Kellenick, you know, one of the keepers I traded to him last year, I love him. Number one, he's, he's number one in a lot of lists now above Franco. But like, if he went out and had like the year Mitch Hanniger had uh, a couple of years ago, it's a really good season, but it's like, it, it feels like if he doesn't go 30, 30, it's, it's kind of feels like a bust when you compare him to the likes of what Tatis and Acuna and, Soto, you know, have those types of breakouts and that. Have well, and even like, and I, years, so even guys like, uh, you know, Jimenez or not Jimenez, uh, like Lou Bob, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know his, his price off the top of my head. I want to say it was somewhere in the thirties. I know Keith went really high on him. And honestly, at the end of the day, that $30 might be worth it based off the scene he had last year. But, you know, it's still like, even though he had a good year and I wouldn't say he was a bust by any means, uh, you know, there's a lot of glaring you know, concerns in his game a little bit. Fuck you, Jimmy. I know you're going to talk shit. Even if you listen to this, probably aren't because you're busy working. Um, but uh, that was just some digs. But uh, no, but Robert, I, you know, <laughs> even though I wouldn't say he was a bust, it's like, you know, like, was he worth like 30, 35 bucks? I don't I think that's somewhere right. he was in between those numbers. Um, you know, I'm not going to kill myself with that contract. I'm not going to beat myself up, but it's just like, like you said, like you probably could have spent you know, 15 or 20 and got very similar production. <clears throat> but, you know, you're paying for these prospects because you're paying for them for yeah. the next five years. And Lou Bob, somebody else, Lou Bob can just keep getting better and better. <clears throat> yep, yep, definitely. Um, and then, you know, one other note is going back to the salary cap, it may not be as easy as flipping a $1 prospect for a $40 hitter. So we might see their their value diminish a bit, at least in terms of guys who are looking for them as flippable assets, right? Like Kellenick last year, I hated to trade him, but it was one of those flags fly forever moments. And I got Springer plus, um, I forget how much salary I took on, but that might've been a trade that couldn't even happen uh, under the new rules. And so um, now you're probably going to be looking at guys who like, who only buy prospects who they really see a future for and want to keep as opposed to managers who would usually grab one or two, just going, I know this guy's gone by July. I'm going to see what I can get for him. Uh, it may not be the same market. So, all right, for let's go ahead and wrap this up with the 45 minute mark with a little rundown on some of the injuries that have taken place. We talked a little bit about Framber Valdez. I've yet to see a definitive timeline, uh, but you know, the signing of Jake Odorizzi to me, that signals that it's an extended stay on the shelf. Yeah. Um, I think he's, going to be gone at least for the first half, if not longer. I read something that they think this surgery could actually be like a, a full season loss. Um, I heard it was like six to eight weeks before you can get the splint or whatever removed. And then it's another few weeks to just physical therapy to just get your motion back in the finger. And then, you know, you got to build your arm strength back up and, you know, is it mid to late August at that point? If, you know, if they're in it, I'm sure they'll bring them along, but you know, fantasy purposes, I don't think you're going to have much value from the get go. So, He's going to probably be somebody that I think is going to just be sitting on the wire and will be picked up, um, you know, when, you know, whoever's quickest to pull the trigger, you know, if, if somebody needs an arm, I just don't think somebody's going to want to draft him and keep him on their roster all season. Um, I don't think he has that kind of pedigree. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, another another guy who went down was Cole Calhoun. I think it was a, a right meniscus in his knee. Not something that should keep him out for too long, but definitely you know into into April, maybe even through April. And it's interesting. I'm I'm wondering who you think gets the at bats because I think the the natural plug in was Tim LaCastro, who's a a very light hitting, speedy outfielder um, who has COVID right now, uh, asymptomatic I believe, but we saw COVID wreck some seasons last year. 
Um, and so I don't know if, is he the fit or do you think there's someone else that would plug in for Calhoun? I don't really know their roster that great, but from my, what I would think probably is, and I don't know, are they, is, is Mark going to be center fielder, shortstop, second baseman? I think I read somewhere where they, you know, they're really trying to get Varsho some at bats. Um, I don't think they want to put him at catcher every day. Uh, I think he plays some center field, so maybe he can put beat play center and they can move some guys around, put Peralta back and right. And then um, maybe, like, like you said, uh, Arlo Castro could play there. Um, I'm sure they have a couple other uh, outfielders that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But um, I think – I know they really want to get Varsha with some at-bats, and I think they, want, they might be putting him in center field. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting name right there, right? Because I think the plan – with everyone healthy, I think the plan was Marte in center and Varsho probably to triple a uh because he's they, they want him to play every day and they have a couple of catchers who they don't want him to be behind the dish and, and they just don't have the at-bats in the outfield but if he can play every day in the big leagues and he's a guy who he's interesting right so I, I think he was probably on a lot of catcher sleeper lists uh in the last month or two because he can he can play more often than a regular catcher and he can steal bases which you know very few will do that real muto might grab you, you know, a handful um so but but dalton Varsho, it's kind of I think he probably would have been a popular keeper or, or sleeper. And then I'm sure everyone saw the news that this guy's probably really not going to break camp and now he might. So that's going to be something to watch. Even then it's, you know, be invested in him because he might be back down by May, but uh, definitely one of the interesting, interesting dynamics there because the, he, the uniqueness of his skill set plus his position uh, makes him a little bit tantalizing there. And so speaking of catchers, JT Ramuto shouldn't miss too much time, but he took a, I think it was just a, a pitch that bounced up and got his throwing thumb um, and fractured his thumb. So do you think that this news, he didn't make uh, Ken's keeper list so far. Do you think this news suppresses his draft stock? Uh, it's concerning. Catcher? Probably not as top catcher just because catching is so thin that I, I think somebody's just going to take the chance. You know, maybe he doesn't go for, $20 or whatever he would have gone for. Maybe he goes for 15 or a little less, but um, you know, the fact that it happened now is a good sign because he has all the spring to let it kind of heal and get better. It's probably, you know, it sounds from what I've read, they're not too concerned. I don't think they think he's going to miss a ton of time, but it's going to, you know, hurt his conditioning and just, you know, timing and he's not going to get his spring training at that. So, um, you know, it might be a slow start. So, you know, maybe I'm talking myself into it. I never really think about going after the top catcher. It's just kind of a, position I always just let come to me but um yeah I don't know like I just I'd be a little cautious like that's a as a catcher like you know you know his value his value on offense is as a catcher is good because he's clearly the best offensively but his offensive numbers are you know going to be probably comparable to a you know a shortstop number five or you know a first baseman number seven it's just like you know I'm just not going to you know because he's his thumb is broken. It's that can affect his power. It can affect his hitting. Um, I, maybe, maybe not, but I'd be a little cautious. And honestly, it's enough to just scare me away. Yeah. I think you, what you just hit on about the power, you know, does it sap, does he come back and play? Cause he just got this hundred plus million dollar contract and doesn't want to be the bum on the IL, but is he actually full strength? You know, I, my plan is, was to go with a dollar catcher, um, just go get back to that after getting burned by like Gary Sanchez and stuff over the last couple of years. Um, but I was, I was planning on like, Hey, if I feel like there's going to be money, then I would, you know, depending on if Romuto's still out there, go for him. Cause I think he still is the top catcher. 
Um, but this just uh, this might scare me off too because it rem- it's just a reminder of fragility at the position. Like it just takes one bad pitch. It's not the guy's fault at all, but you know the ba- the ball bounces and breaks a thumb or like they get bopped in the head on a backswing like this. Those guys get beat yep. up, and so. You know, it, it, you go get a real Muto and you can get pretty good numbers in, in elite for the position. But there's those guys are just, uh, you know, I don't have the data in front of me. But I'm sure catchers hit the DL more than other position players. It just or they play through it because they're kind of like the grunts. They're the tough guys, but they're just not at 100 percent. And so I don't know. I, I He was someone before this. I was like, yeah, maybe I will spend up, you know, once Ken said he wasn't keeping them. And this kind of I, he's still catcher one for sure on the board, but I don't I don't know if I'm if I'm willing to pivot and invest in him. Uh, we'll see. Probably just a game time decision. A lot of times I just fly by the seat of my pants. Even if I do have a plan going into <laughs> like, it, like you so, said, it's like all right. You start so the draft with a plan another, and then it just go ahead. quickly goes to shit. Unravels. Yeah. So a couple other quick ones, and if you have any comments, you can jump in there. Brandon Belt. He is. Yeah, so for a guy who never hit 20 homers, had a very quiet, I don't know, can you call it a breakout at 32 years old? Slugged 591 last year. I mean, he beat the shit out of the ball. They did make those dimensions at uh, Oracle Park a little bit more hitter friendly, but it's still not a great place to hit. So, I mean, you have to factor in some regression. But now on top of that, he's got this heel injury he's recovering from and a non-COVID illness. I don't know what it is, but uh, – you know, anything you want to add on belt or anything, you know, a guy who you, you would have seen going under the radar or is it a guy who's just kind of dead to you now, now that he's, you know, entering spring training with just beat up physically and, uh, and, and sick with whatever the hell he's, doing uh, he's pretty much dead to me. Um, you know, he's somebody that I've rostered before. And like, so I, I have appreciation for him. You know, he's, he's a solid player, yeah. but you know, at first base, he just doesn't provide the power you need. You know, he's going to give you a 280, 290 batting average. He'll give you, Good OPS because he walks a ton, but um, just that power is just not there. And it's just when at first base, when you just get zero power production, it's just, it kills you. And so, like you said, the park has a lot to do with that. He was somebody I was always just hoping was traded to like Milwaukee or somewhere like that. I was just always praying that he would end up in one of those teams. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty much he's already kind of off my board because of all those reasons. And now that he's injured and, you know, dealing with all those, uh, those injuries. And like you said, it's not just one, it's a couple. Uh, I'm out. I'm not going to even really think much about him. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those 16 home runs and, and three stolen bases, <laughs> <laughs> they don't really cut it um, when, when you usually need your power there. So yeah, another one, Nate Pearson, one of the keys guys has a groin strain, but he's supposed to be back in time. So not much to cover there. And then the last one is just, is interesting. Another one of Keith's guys, and we mentioned them earlier, Jared Kellenick tweaked his knee getting out of the batter's box the last day or two here. And he had an MRI. Everything is fine. Nothing significant. But just funny that, you know, he was, I wouldn't even say the center. He was among the center of the many controversial topics from uh, that now ex-president of the Mariners. Um, but one of them was him talking pretty openly about manipulation, right? And service time manipulation. Kellenick came out and said he was pretty pissed and they were going to, Probably they, they weren't going to have anything to hide behind. And then all of a sudden he kind of hurts his knee and they gives him just enough air cover to go, you know what, we're going to take it easy with this asset <laughs> here. and We're going to give him a few weeks to get better. And so now they're not going to take the heat that they really should have for, for very blatantly um, manipulating the service time of, of 
what some consider to be the number one prospect in the game. So don't know if you have any comments on that. We're going to wrap up here. So that or anything else, the floor is yours to touch on anything that we should say. Is that that Julio Rodriguez music I hear? Uh, I don't know if like, I, uh, (laughs) yeah, like Kalanick, um, he's going to, I think he's going to be on the team. And like you said, once his knees better, uh, I think he'll be on the team. I, I don't think they have any other choice based off of the stupid comments that that president made. Um, but you know, they have, you know, they've made so many trades. They have so many bodies that that can easily see them just saying, you know, we're going to ride Kyle Lewis, Henniger, and I don't even know who their third outfielder is off the top of my head, but, um, you know, uh, Hanager's probably going to get hurt. He always does. So, you know, I, you know, I think he'll find his way up. Like that team's young and, you know, they're not ready to compete, but I think they're at the point where they're ready to, you know, just start letting these prospects play together and form roles and, you know, gel and, you know, develop a, you know, an identity and just see what these guys can do. And, you know, Kyle Lewis has kind of exceeded expectations and I know he's a first overall pick, but or not first overall pick, a number one pick, but um, you know, it's just, he's always had that pedigree, but he was never, you know, a huge, huge prospect. And, you know, he's lit the world on fire a little bit last year. And so they have some good talent and I can just see them saying, you know, what, let's just be the, let's kind of follow the Padres mold and just let's go young and just let these guys play and just see, you know, see how good we really are. Well, I'm not sure what happened there. Lost Spurred, but uh, he got to finish his thought. And that pretty much wraps us up as we're approaching the one-hour mark anyways. If I were to add anything is that, yeah, as the Mariners, uh, you would like to see them make a push a lot of the Padres. But right now, I mean, how can you expect them to give a bats to Jerry Kelnick, the number one prospect in the game, when they currently have a platoon in left field of Jake Fraley and Braden Bishop? I mean, anytime you can run those guys out there, you got to do it when you're trying to win ball games. Ferd, I appreciate you as always coming on. You always come and bring some good insight um, and have your finger on the pulse as far as what's happening in the bigs. And, and it's getting it's getting exciting. We're almost there, guys. So uh, see you all in a couple of weeks at Stiffy. Hopefully Ken can make it too. And looking forward to what I'm hoping is a knock on wood, regular, awesome baseball season where the Angels go 80 and 82. Okay. Have a great one, guys. Thanks for listening.